Welcome to the Hypergen Founders Podcast, the show where we explore the minds behind the innovative companies. I'm your host, Kian. I'm your host, Alex. And each week, we'll dive into conversations with visionary founders. From garage startups to global enterprises, get ready for inspiration, insights, and the secrets behind their success. If you're curious about how these visionaries are turning their million and billion dollars ideas into reality, then this podcast is for you. Stay tuned for engaging discussions on technology, innovations, and leadership. This is the Founders Podcast. Let's begin. Welcome to the Founders Podcast. We have our guest, Alessandro Fart, the founder of Ape, a digital agency that offers comprehensive solutions to your most pressing problems. Welcome, Alessandro. Thank you for having me, guys. And then we also have our co-host, Kian. How's it going, guys? I'm good. Cool. I'm good. So I'm just going to switch up here. Al, how about you tell us what's the story behind your company and why you actually picked that name, Creative? <laughs> the story about the company, I've been in the tech space for a long time, about 23 years now. And when I first started getting into it, I always thought I was going to have an agency. And a lot of people don't know this, but I actually started a company when I was 21. And it was called juniperdesigns.net, by the way, because I didn't get to .com. And I didn't know what I was doing. And <laughs> I remember calling my grandfather and I was saying, he's Italian. I was like, hey, no, I'm trying to decide if I should be an LLC or corporation. And I remember this always, he laughed on the phone and he said, why don't you go make some money and then we'll talk about it. And it stuck with me, man, I got to go make some money. He's right. Because I was spending all this time trying to make a nice website and all this marketing stuff. And I had no plan on actually how to make money or reach out to people. And what I found very quickly as I was doing that, that it's really hard. I was like on Craigslist and I was looking at people and it was like race to the bottom. Yeah, 50 bucks and I need you to do this. This sucks. And I ended up getting a job at GSN and Sony. And from that point on, my career just took off. But I always had in the back of my mind, one day I'm going to do an, an agency. I knew I was going to do that at one point. And in about 2011, I'd always kept an eye out on domains and I saw this domain create ape. And for some reason, it, I remember seeing it and I was like, that's weird. And I just kept going. It wasn't name.com, but it was one of these sites like that. And then I came back to it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get that. I don't know why. Maybe I'll use it one day. I had no plan on making an agency with create ape. And that was 2011 create ape. We didn't actually officially found and start until 2015, 2016. So it was years, it was like five years before I circled back and I was like, hey, we're going to use this. And the reason it came about is while I was working for companies, there was about five, six years where I was hustling. I would go to work, work all day, like at True Car, at Lynda.com, which was bought by LinkedIn. I, I would go there, work all day, come home. I was a new dad. I had my first son and I would be with him and my wife until they went to bed and then I'd go to work. And I would work freelance for a couple of hours until 12, one o'clock. And I would do it all over again every day, just move until the weekend, which I was able to rest a little bit. And I did that for a long time. In fact, I remember this one time I was living in a century city in Los Angeles and we had this uh, apartment and there was this one closet that wasn't really that big, but it was enough where I looked inside. I was like, you know what? I think I could put a desk in here. And I had a, a carpenter come there and he put like a little desk. And I was able to put some computers and I was just able to close the door. So that was my office for a couple of years where I would just work. So I didn't have like noise of kids and stuff in the background. And so I did that for a while. And over time, I started getting a pretty decent list of clients. Like I'd be getting clients, people would refer me. I didn't advertise them like that. It was just, hey, you need a website or you need some 
graphic work or some strategy or product or things like that. And then in 2014, TrueCar had an IPO and I had uh, some stock there and I was able to leverage that so that I didn't have to necessarily work for a while. And I was working at Kelly Blue Book for one month because they had me move from Santa Barbara down to Orange County. And they made it sound like, oh, we're like Google, man. You can work from home. And, don't. and this is the recruiter, obviously, who, at, at Kelly Book who's telling me this. And by the time I get there, it wasn't that at all. In fact, I remember the last straw was when I came in. You guys always see me. I wear this hat. They're like, hey, you can't wear the hat and you have to start wearing a, a shirt with a tie. And I looked at them and I was like, huh. I had my laptop. I, I'm not doing that. And my wife was like, hey, are you going to go get another job? I was like, you know what? Let me just give it a shot. And within one month, I started having reoccurring retainer clients. And I did that for about another two years until my financial advisor was like, you need to stop doing this LLC consultant thing, man. You need to be a corporation. And I'd already had a couple of full-time contractors that were working with me for my Alessandro Fardoc. That is how I switched it over to CreateApe. And if you ever see some initial designs with the first CreateApe website, it was like an afterthought. I didn't even care because I was still using my main website. And I was like, ah, whatever. It's just a, a vehicle for me to save on taxes as a corporation. And then from there, it just took off. And at our height in during the COVID years, we were up almost 70 people. Things have settled a little bit now that everyone's come down to earth. But yeah, that's the story behind CreateApe. And I wish I could tell you some really cool, oh, I love apes and monkeys and it's not i thought it was a cool name and i grabbed it yeah i think it's a very catchy name and you mentioned that pretty much you've been hustling it sounds like since day one and yeah, then you man. have your regular job and then you kind of transition into an agency and me and ken can also relate to that there's nothing bad with having some stable income especially and i commend you by the way that you did this change while you had family because i feel a lot of people feel it would be a riskier situation and now being where you're at today running your own business and what do you think it's the most interesting part about create especially right now where you guys are at i think right now where we're at as i mentioned during covid it was free money right it was people just printing money and so there was so much investment out there that we were getting so much work people were coming to us we grew astronomically and i would say probably too fast and this year has been a very big correction year and it's allowed us to become more aggressive, more streamlined, a leaner and hungrier team. And I see a lot of value in that. I love jujitsu. I do jujitsu. And one of the things in jujitsu that we say is that you never lose. You're either winning or you're learning. And so this year has been a, a year where we have definitely won, but we've also learned a lot. And I think the other big thing right now that I'm really excited about is AI. I think that we are entering a time in humanity's history that may rival the, certainly the introduction of the internet back in the nineties and may even rival the industrial revolution. I know that there's a lot of hype around AI right now, and some of it is well-warranted hype. And it's not the uh, magic pill that everyone makes it out to be in, in a lot of ways, but it is the beginning. And I believe that exponentially every year, you're going to see more and more tools that are able to do things that otherwise you would have someone else do. And it's going to be a very interesting time where a lot of us are going to have to learn how to adapt. And I remember I was having an all hands with our team and I was saying to people, guys, this is our Blockbuster moment. You guys remember Blockbuster. Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix at one point and they laughed them out of the room. They were like, oh, come on, man. what do you know? Blockbuster had a chance. They didn't do it. They didn't take advantage of it. Now look at where's Blockbuster, right? Look at Netflix. So what I'm telling everyone is, look, this is your Blockbuster moment. Take advantage of it. Don't scoff at it. Don't think that it's just hype. 
see the tool and what can it do? And we've adopted tools at CreateApe. Uh, I tell all of my directors every week we have a meeting and one of the things, topics we go over is how are you using AI? What are you using for? How is it saving you time? And where do you think you can apply it in the future? So our directors are always thinking about AI and how we can use it. We're also looking at creating our own internal AI tool to help expedite some of the projects that we have. I think that there's a little bit of a dark side to AI. If AI saves you all this time, then you don't need as many people. And then people get let go and they don't have jobs. And that, that is a, a, a scary part of AI. And it's true. We're trying not to do that at Creative. We're, what we're trying to do is say, hey, let's use these AI tools that we can. And not so that we can let people go, but so that we can find a way to increase our volume and pass on the cost benefits to our clients. And so one of the initiatives that we're doing here at Creative is being able to take uh, the tools that we have and the skill set that we have around conversion and optimization and bring them to clients that otherwise could never afford us ever. And that I think has been a really big deal. And we're starting to see some really exciting results from that. And it's making everybody feel good because now these startup companies or mom, pa companies that otherwise would have just gone to a Wix site are now getting a site that is really performing for them and they're able to do it in a cost-effective way. Yeah, and I guess we see this a lot as a trend where companies that are really succeeding, especially the ones that we're talking with, it's like they're always testing out new solutions, new tools, where it's an AI or another tool that can cut their workflow, especially in the B2B service space, right? We understand too, there's so much stuff that we're doing that takes so much of our time. And if we can find this one tool that can cut in a couple of minutes or maybe even a few hours, that can help us cut costs and can translate into uh, less cost for the client as well. Yeah. Cool. And then I guess before versus now where you're at, how did you identify the target market for your service? That's a really good question. If the AI component that we just talked about didn't exist, I would tell you that we are a strategic agency. The target market that we look for are strategic clients that aren't looking for a website. That's not really been our core um, focus. Our core focus are on clients that have enterprise solutions, B2B SaaS solutions, things like that. It, it is either a, a, a new product offering, a large redesign, something that, that requires digital product strategy at a very granular level. And it's really something that usually engagements like this are six months to 18 months where we're not working on just one thing. We're working on various aspects of the product in order to facilitate goals that cannot be done in three months. It's goals that are happening in six months or 12 months, um, looking at conversion. And the ecosystem of these things have so many aspects to it, right? Whether it's email drip campaigns and abandoned carts around e-commerce, or it's trying to launch a new mobile application that is going to be a disruptor in the client's industry or marketplace. So strategic client is, and, and probably always will be our core focus with the AI tool that we're talking about and being able to pass those costs to clients, we are able now to open up to getting these more informational type sites to these clients that otherwise wouldn't be able to do it. And that really opens up the floodgates to pretty much anyone that ha has a business idea or is trying to launch a business. Now, I, I don't ever think that will become a, a core component of CreateApe just because we have been built for over six, seven years now to be a strategic partner for B2B companies. 
But it is exciting to think that we will continue to now with AI, try to provide these services to new businesses. And I'll be really honest with you guys, in some ways, it's a little bit of a hack for me because a startup will eventually become an established company, right? So like we're establishing relationships now with these younger companies, certainly at very small cost for them. But the hope is that in two years or three years, we will have that partnership so that when it's time that they do need a strategic partner, they're going to be coming to us. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing because we see it in a similar way. It's when you have all these clients, even if it's on a smaller paid service or whatever, you have real estate. So you have your tribe and whenever you launch your product or whenever they're ready to pay more, use more of your services, it's like you're there, you already build that connection. So I feel it's totally worth thinking about a service or a product that's more easily accessible so that those people know you and whenever that time comes, they can go on the next thing. It's funny, it reminds me actually of this back when I was working in that closet, actually. I remember I was at the time driving home from work and someone had reached out to me about a website idea. She was a really nice gal and she told me her idea and I was listening, I was giving her some advice, suggestions and I was trying to just guide her and I gave her kind of a ballpark because what she wanted to do was not a little thing. And she's, gosh, I don't think I have the ability to do that right now. And I was like, don't worry about it. Try this. And she said, Hey, thank you so much. I'm really thankful that you're helping me with this. And I really can't give you anything right now. I was like, don't worry about it. She came back two years later, she had raised funding to do it. And she said, I'd love to work with you. And we did a great job on the project. So it's a good example of what we're talking about, where you pay it forward and it'll come back to you eventually. Yeah. Always providing value. And then what makes you guys different from all the other creative agencies out there like versus your competitors? What's funny, I, I think we all get asked this all the time, right? Everybody gets asked this. Every company, what makes you different? What makes you so special? And everyone comes back, let me tell you why we're the best. Look, are we the best? I don't know. We're really good at what we do. I can tell you that. I can, I, I can tell you this. I, I'll answer that this way. Are, does it make us better or different or special than all the other agencies? Probably not, because I'm sure that some of them are great agencies and they do the exact same thing that we do, right? There's not just one great basketball player. There's a, a, a couple really good basketball players, right? But what I will say is this. We don't pay lip service to the idea that we're your partner. We know that if you're successful, we will be successful. So we come to bat every day for your company to make sure that you're successful. And the way that we do that is you may bring us in for one thing. We're not looking at just that one thing. We're looking at everything that we can do to make that one thing successful. You may bring us in for a smaller engagement, but we're not going to just look at the three months that we're working with you. We're going to say, okay, we're building this thing. And 18 months from now, you may want to do this because during some user testing or some internal interviews during our research phase, when we do our jungle guide or what have you, I heard this. So I'm going to build this tool for you in a way that's going to make your life a lot easier 18 months from now. So I think that's one of the ways that does it set us apart? I don't know, but it's something that we do at Creative and it is built into our DNA to make sure our clients are successful and they are our partners. And I think the other thing that is, is a really big value prop for us is that we're incredibly agile. We're not a giant agency. You're not a number here. I remember working with an agency one time as a, a white label. I, I was helping them out. And they, man, they had Google and Coca-Cola and all these things. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. But these companies were so big that the smaller companies, like, and by smaller, I don't mean, I'm talking like 50 people, hundred people, but in conjunction to these big Bahamas, they were smaller companies. 
they took a little bit of a backseat. They didn't get the same attention. And there was a ticketing system in the agency, which you have to have when you have a 400 person agency, right? We're not like that. You're not a number to us, a real entity, and you are real people, and we treat you that way. And you can see that in ways of having shared Slack channels, ad hoc meetings when you need them. Like we want you to be successful. And that's the type of relationship that we try to adhere to. Whether that makes us different or not, I don't know, but it certainly makes our clients happy. And our track record with our clients and the success that they have speaks for itself. Awesome. Yeah. And I've seen some of your, what do you call it? Like the jungle guy, you guys really do deep research to understand that audience. So whenever you're actually building out that product, like it actually makes sense. Cause I've seen, and I've talked to a couple of entrepreneurs where they start a product or they have an agency helping them out, but they're building, let's say something like reactive feature to feature. This customer said that this customer said yeah. this, uh, but I feel like it's really important to do that core research so that we really know the audience, know what you're doing. So that the design isn't a fault of that, not just something that looks pretty, but it's actually like functional. Yeah. But you're so right, man. I think the days of people saying, when I go online, I do this. So that's how the website or the, the product or whatever should be. I don't hear that as much anymore. I used to hear it a lot in my early career. So I think people are more open to, Hey, who is our customer and what do they want? But I think that the devil in the detail is how do you distill that information? What is enough? If I talk to three customers, does that mean we should do everything those three customers say? Are they edge cases? Are they a core use case? Are they a subset? Being able to sift through data, both quantitative data uh, of talking, of looking at analytical data, industry data, competitor data, being able to know where to find it, make sure that data is good quality, and then have a, a, a qualitative data where you can actually sit down and talk to users that identify with the persona, and then bring those two things together to build a foundation to say, okay, based on all of this, and based on the goals that you have, and based on what's happening with your competitors and the industry, both right now and a year and five years from now, in terms of trends, here's what we recommend you do. And what I always tell clients is, look, if you go to war, you're just going to march in, not know anything's going on. Yeah, we're just going to go to war. I'm sure it'll work itself out. No, you're going to send out scouts and okay, what, what the terrain look like, right? Sun Tzu art of war is you need in, uh, gather intelligence, right? And that's what we do for our clients. That's why we call it a jungle guide. And you'll have to excuse the pun, but it is a jungle out there, right? Don't go it alone. Come to us. We will help guide you so that you don't fall into any traps and we make sure you're successful. And, and that's why we do that, that very strong foundation of data for our clients. And how do you actually decide if, let's say there's a bunch of customers requesting features, do you look for a certain number of people mentioning that feature? Do you also look at what the competitors industries are doing? When do you tell your customers, okay, maybe this is a feature that you actually need? Number one, you have to remember your competitors could be doing something, but is that something that they're doing? Is it a opportunity to copy them or improve on it? Or is it an opportunity to do something different because what they're doing isn't actually good? And so there, it's a little bit of a unique process by which you have to really do enough research to understand when you have almost statistical significance to be able to say, okay, I have enough data now to make an informed assumption on this, right? Because at the end of the day, nobody has a magic eight ball that they can just be like, oh, you do this and I promise you're going to make a million dollars. Nobody has that. So you have to go based off of the tools that you have in front of you and hope that your track record is good enough where you can say, look, we've done this now for over like 800 clients, right? 
And the success rate of these clients is pretty darn high. I mean, we're talking like 80 to maybe low 90%. And I think that if you can lean on that, you're able to say with some authority, hey, here's what I think you should do. So going back to what you're talking about, it depends on the industry and depends on the marketplace, right? So sometimes you, you might do something called right testing. Right testing is where, let's say you have a, a product or a prototype or a site. You may set up five user testing interviews in that day. And in a room, you're going to have them come in to a Zoom. Sometimes you can do it in person, but usually it's on a Zoom call. You'll have a user who matches a persona come in and you'll have them go through a, a prototype or interface. And you're going to ask them non-leading questions to get a true reaction of what's going on. In the background, observing this is usually a team of UX designers, product owners, and developers. And as they're giving you feedback, they're writing it down. And if you're really good, and this is something that we did at lynda.com, they're actually updating the prototype real time. So then the next person that you have come in has the new interface and you have them go through it. And do they still have the same pain point? Is their pain point a, a different pain point? And as you get through the entire day, you'll notice through this right testing that you've actually solved most of the pain points for that persona. Once that's done, you take that, you bring it back to the dev team, you say, okay, polish this thing up, let's get this clear and then let's ship it and put this to production. And then you observe it over the next two to four to six weeks and see, are we lifting conversion? Are we lowering friction? Things like that. That's just one uh, uh, tool that we have in our toolkit that we would use for a client, depending on the nature of their product, their industry, et cetera. So it really just depends on how we do it, but we do it in a way where we make sure that it's not about opinion. It's about your, your users and what do they really want? And, and I'll, I'll close just on this, Alex. Sometimes what your users say they want and what they really want can be two different things. And that's where experience really comes in, where they're like, I want this. And it's like, do you really? I don't think that's what you're really saying. I think what you're really saying is this. And now you can't just ship that. You have to go test it and make sure that's what they're really asking for. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy that you guys gather all those people to go for those mock-ups and then you're actively changing it. I've yeah. never heard of like other companies doing that, but it yeah. sounds like very effective because like in oh, one day you can go yeah. through all the iterations obviously the bigger the product the the more you'll do i remember there have been times where we've done it and we've done it for like a week like an entire week because you'd imagine some of these products are really big i have never done this and not seen positive effects to it and increase it's not a matter of can we make it better or can we raise more revenue or whatever it's really just how far can we go how much can we do so it really just depends. I will close on this and just say that at the end of the day, when we are working with a client, it really just comes back to the idea of, hey, are we able to make the changes that you're actually looking for? And so what we're really doing nowadays, especially in this last year and a half, is we're trying to attach everything we do to KPIs. Revenue obviously is the, the easiest one. Can we raise more money for you? Can we increase revenue? But it's other KPIs too, time on site, adoption metrics, things like that, where we're looking at real KPIs and we will tell the clients during our jungle guide, during this project, these are the KPIs we're going to be looking at. And if they're going up, it means we're doing a good job. If they're staying the same or they're going down, we're failing you. And we are transparent about it. We're not going to hide anything because again, if you're successful, we're going to be successful. So we want to know if things are failing because it means that maybe we missed something. What tools do you guys use to measure those KPIs or the website behavior? Because analytics, yeah. especially GA4, it's a big uh, disruption there. And there's yeah. probably other tools that, that can fill the gap there. 
Yeah, no, good question. So there's a lot that we use. I would say the biggest ones that we're using a lot of, and it depends on what we're doing, but Hotjar is a really good one. I, I really love Hotjar. The ability to watch anonymous users interact in an interface is really cool because you can, a lot of times you can actually skip certain steps depending on what you're seeing there. So Hotjar is great. I've used Crazy Egg. I don't love it as much anymore. Definitely Optimizely, things like that are great. The Lytics and Usability Hub for doing moderated and unmoderated user testing to find pools of people that you can talk to, those are really big ones that we try to use. But when we do write testing, it depends. Let's say you already have an existing site or there's a tool that we can do where we can um, have a pop-up come on the site and say, hey, you want to be part of a, a user testing study? We'll, we can give you a free $15 Starbucks card or something like that. And if they will qualify them with just a couple questions to make sure they actually match the persona or the pain point that we're looking to solve. And then we'll bring them to a Calendly. They book a time. Boom. Now we've set up our right testing for that day. And we have five of them. So there's tools like that that we can use as well. Worst case, we'll go guerrilla warfare and we'll just go on LinkedIn and we'll find you. And we'll reach out to you with emails until we can get you in there. Yeah. That's actually pretty awesome that you guys like, utilize typical conversion picks, but actually to get customer feedback. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. And that's it, right? That sums it up. Like in a nutshell, we're trying to do everything we can to make our clients successful. I remember one time this year, actually, we were in a room and we we're sitting down talking about this one client and we were puzzled about some data that we were seeing. And we we're just like, man, what do we do? How do we solve this problem? And we ended up using the LinkedIn approach that I talked about in order to talk to enough people to do it. And it reminded me in my earlier career where uh, we didn't have any of these tools. So I remember actually, this was like 2004, 2005, I would stand outside of a Starbucks and I would have printouts of mock-ups and I would ask people, I'd have a bottle of water and be like, hey, free bottle of water if you can answer a couple of questions. And they're like, okay, cool. And I'd ask some questions and then I would take that all back to the team later and be like, all right, here's what I got, guys. It was definitely archaic now compared, but at the time, then we didn't have any of this stuff. There was no UX design in 2004, 2005. When I started my career, it was just, I was a web designer. That was it. It was web design. It wasn't until 2010, 2011, that UX design really started to come out and like a different kind of discipline. So yeah, it's cool. Really also can to see just the huge transition of time since when I first got in this industry to now it's been pretty mind blowing. Yeah, how things have changed. Yeah. And then how did you approach building out and developing creative along the years? That's a really good question. I never um I never really planned on having an exit, if that's what we're talking about. Like, I enjoy what I'm doing. I remember when I stopped, when the true car IPO happened, I was doing pretty good with consulting and I didn't necessarily have to do this. I could have just stayed doing that and I probably would have been able to surf at the beach a lot more than I do right now if I had done that. But I think sometimes in life, things just happen and you have an opportunity in front of you and you can either take that opportunity or pass on it. I don't think one is necessarily better than the other, but I've always been the person that I don't want to look back and regret something and say, maybe I should have done that. And so a lot of times when I see opportunity come my way, I jump on it. I'll give you a good example. I won't go into too much detail. This is a different podcast, but I started an olive oil company, importing it from Italy. My family is, is Italian and I did this in the middle of COVID and it wasn't planned that way. Like I didn't plan on doing it. And it, because of COVID and shipping and supply chain issues, it, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. 
And that project right now is on hold because I'm focusing hundred uh, percent on creative and what I'm doing there. And does that mean I regret it? Not even a little bit. I love everything I learned about it. And hopefully one day when I get some time, <laughs> I'm going to turn it back on and try to make it successful because it's something that I'm passionate about. I just see when opportunity comes my way, it, it, I, I try to jump on it, but I try to make sure that I'm having balance in my life. I guess that's the other thing I would just say, because I do have kids. I don't want to be that guy that maybe one day I, I'm like Elon and I'm all successful, but I wasn't in my kid's life. That's not worth it. What are we even here for at that point? You know what I mean? You can't take it with you. I try to make sure that I have that balance and that I am still spending time with my kids and with my wife and trying to take care of myself, exercise, do that type of stuff. And I think that also is a science, an art actually to itself is how do you find that balance between entrepreneurs like us? I have a list just like you guys, 20 ideas that I haven't even gotten to yet. How do we find that balance? Okay, I'm going to work on this, but I'm also going to go do the things that rejuvenate me or make me happy or be with family and friends. So I try to make sure I keep a close eye on that as well. Yeah, commend you being able to achieve that balance because it sounds hyper-productive, always thinking about the next thing, especially since you've been like, I guess, ever since you started creating balancing, so working overtime yeah. probably like for the most of your life it's funny i remember you say that this year i actually in january i officially launched my fractional digital product consulting and i remember when i started doing it my wife was like what are you doing i was like what do you mean and she's like you don't have any more time how are you going to do this and i was like i'll figure it out don't worry about it and was she right Maybe in some ways I was able to take on a couple clients this year and it's been great learning. The thing that I say is I've always been doing this anyway. I just formalized it so that there's a different channel that people can come to me and say, Hey, we need some help and we don't want to work with creative necessarily. We just want to work with you. But I think in that regard, what you were saying, Alex, there definitely are days or months where I noticed that I've gone over the line and I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to feel a little burnt. I'm doing a little too much right now. And so I'm able to at least recognize that and then just try to move a couple things around and bring it back down. So I'm like, okay, let me bring it back to a place where I am not over that line. Cause nobody can do that indefinitely. Eventually you'll burn out, which is never going to be good for an entrepreneur. Right? Yeah. I think it's just being aware of it, man. Just being aware of it. And then having people that you trust that are in your life that can tell you like, Hey man, I think you're starting to get there. <laughs> you need to cool it a little bit, but yeah, it's a balance. It's a balance. Yeah. I just feel like it's better to be that way instead of lazier because oh, yeah. okay. I just need to let down. I'll be all right. Yeah. Well, dude, I think about people that I worked with over my career that they're very happy just being like a senior UX guy in a company. And you know what? I, I thought about that for a long time over the years. And I'm like, you know what? God bless them. If that makes you happy, go for it. I think that some of us are just built differently. We're looking to see what's on the other side of the hill. And when I was a kid, I was, I remember 18, 19, I was walking around West LA and where I was living. And I was looking at some of these houses and I was like, man, I want to own a house one day. I don't know a lot of teenagers that think about owning houses. I was thinking about business ideas. Maybe it's my family. My grandfather and my dad were entrepreneurs. They ran their own businesses. They didn't work for anyone else. And so maybe that kind of just stuck in me where I was like, that's what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've always wondered about that as well. Same thing. Like my dad, he's in business, but I would say it's like, even here in Bulgaria, like medium income. And I feel like it's like at that point where you don't have too much in life, like you're not born, let's say super rich or something like that. And you see the opportunity, you see your parents or your family like cussing, but you're like, I can also do that. I feel like that's always been a really good base for you to be like, okay, I'm going to go out and crush it. I want to do the yeah. same thing, but do it like 
10 times more, especially right now, because thank God, like we have such a big opportunity to work remotely, work with a lot more companies. There's a lot less restrictions versus yeah. what there used to be. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's really true. It's interesting because I, I know that there are, are people that don't have access to the opportunities that we have. And so I think that you touch on something that's important to me too, which is just being grateful. And I remember talking to one of our sales guys yesterday when we were talking about something and we were in the beginning of the conversation, we're like, Hey, how's it going? And he was like, I'm doing okay, man. How you doing? I was like, you know what, man, I live in the United States of America and I have loose change in my couch. I'm probably better than 90% of the people that are out there right now. So I, I cannot complain. And I, I think that's the perspective, right? It's like, you are grateful for what you have because there, you recognize that there are others out there that are less fortunate. And I think that should prompt you not only to be grateful, but hopefully give back too. give it back to people, make someone's life better, because those are the moments and that you'll cherish. You'll remember those moments. I, I don't remember any amazing present I have ever gotten. I don't remember any of them. I'll be honest with you. Like I couldn't tell you what I got for last Christmas or any big things. I don't remember any of it, but I do remember giving amazing gifts to others. I do remember charity things that I've done and those memories, those are cool. I'll take those every day. So yeah, man, I think it's part of that balance with just being grateful. I feel if you have more money, it just makes you more of the person who you are. Like it shines more light on that. Yeah. And even I remember I was recently at this restaurant. It was in this small city in Bulgaria, which salaries are super low compared to even like in the country. And I gave this big tip and I got, he shook my hand. He was like, man, I wish one day I could also give that tip. And that moment is just like amazing. Cause I've also been in his shoes. I've also served and driven Uber Eats or whatever. I've gotten a big tip and it inspired me. I feel like it's, you just need to pay forward. Like the yeah. more you get, the more you pay forward and I feel the more fortunate you get. Yeah, I agree with you, man. And I think in some ways, most of the really successful entrepreneurs that I know, they've all started at the bottom. I remember in my late teens, I, so people don't know this, I worked for Blockbuster for a little bit. I worked at Blockbuster as a salesperson, like just renting out videos. I worked at Home Depot. I worked at a luggage store at the mall in Santa Monica. And these were not like fun companies necessarily, like it was minimum wage. And I had this moment actually, Alex, where I went to a grocery store and I picked up a block of Parmesan cheese and it said dollars on it. And I was looking at it and my brother-in-law at the time, I wasn't married to his sister yet. We were hanging out and he was like, dude, why are you looking at that cheese? I told him, this is like an hour of my time. Like this is more than I get paid an hour. And he was like, yeah. And it just blew my mind. I was like, dude, this sucks. I don't want to work minimum wage jobs the rest of my life. And it lit a fire under me where I was like, I'm going to do something like this is nuts. And so I think in some ways, what you're saying also makes sense where you mentioned the Uber Eats. Yeah. When you have to know what it's like there to know that you don't want to be there and it drives you in a lot of ways, but yeah, you're right. Also just giving it back, man. And being able to go into a restaurant and just be like, I'm going to give this person an amazing tip because they were just an awesome person. It's something that you hope you have the ability to do. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Cool. So I'll jump on the next question. I guess what have been like some of the most significant challenges you faced building creative?
That's a good, good question. stuff, right? What made That's you maybe lose some hair at night? So you've gone through very different generations of the internet, early 2000s, yeah. and then yeah. Facebook ads with 2010s and 2020 yeah. now. It's different. Three generations. I think some of the biggest challenges that I've had, I, I'll say a couple of things. Number one, going from 10 full-time employees to 20 was really hard because you can fake it at 10. Like you can fake it. You don't need a lot of things that you need in place when you're going past that. Things like payroll or PTO time or things like that. Do we have Jira or Basecamp or ClickUp? Like it doesn't matter. Like that's whatever. But when you go from 10 to 20, it's a different ball game. And now it's like crap. And you have to learn in order to grow. That was really hard. A lot of frustration and a lot of learning that, I'm going to say this as, as best as I can, you cannot do it all yourself. There is the law of the lid, right? Grant Cordon, law of the lid. You cannot do everything on your own. I'm sorry, you're going to burn out. There's no balance at that point. And so I had to learn, you, you have to find the right people. You have to trust them. You have to empower them. And you have to be able to recognize that you cannot do everything. I think that was one really big learning process that took at least a year and some change to get through. And it was tough. It was tough. Going from 20 employees to 40, that was easy. That was nothing. The, the 10 to 20, that was hard, really hard. I think another thing that has been tough for me has been there are moments in, in an entrepreneur's life, um, I think it was Elon Musk that said that there, it is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And those lows, when a client that was a really big client ran out of funding and left you hanging with an invoice that ain't, is not being paid, right? And you have payroll to make. And these are people's lives that they require this in order to live and pay rent and get food. What are you going to do? What if you don't have the cash flow to cover it? So how do you do that? There have been moments like that in my life where I'm like, wow, this sucks. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. And you have to find a way. You just have to find a way. And I think those are the tough things. Those are the tough ones where, granted, it makes you more grateful when you're able to get through them, but it's tough when you're in it. And a, a great a pastor that I love, Rick Warren, he says something that sticks with me. He says, when you're going through hell, keep going. Like, don't stay there, keep going. So that's something that I keep in my head where if I'm going through something tough, keep going, <laughs> let's get through it so that we're not there anymore. And so I try to keep these type of things in perspective. I have post-it notes on my computer all the time with these little adages so that I just keep focused and just trying to get through it. So yeah, those are some of the tough things that, that I think I've gone through. It's probably not unique to me at all. We've all gone through it. And I'm sure there will be other ones too, but I think you learn to learn from them. And the way I also see it, it's because I feel like we see it for our whole life where life will give you challenges just to see if what you want, do you actually really want it? Yeah. And yeah. that's how you prove it. And I feel with everything, with business all the way down to like when you're exercising or doing anything hard. I feel like it's crucial for you to learn to do hard things that you don't want to do or yeah. you don't feel like doing or whatever. And that really teaches you like the discipline is okay. Whenever bad stuff like this happens, whenever in the business, keep being focused on your goals uh, and just think of the next solution. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Probably every successful entrepreneur probably has their thing, right? Their thing that keeps them on the right path. And for some people, maybe it's, I don't know, exercise or family or God. I'm a 
fairly spiritual person. For me, I think that my relationship with God has helped me a ton because I don't view things happening to me as being arbitrary. Like it's not just happenstance or chance. There, there's a reason it's happening. And so it touches on what you're saying where, okay, this is happening. Yeah, let's prove it. Do you really want this? Wasn't it Thomas Paine that said that the harder the struggle, the more glorious the triumph, right? If, if it came easy, everybody would do it. If it came easy, you wouldn't uh, value it as much. But when you work in the trenches with sweat and blood and tears, and you finally get to the top of the mountain, man, you appreciate it because you know how hard it was to get there. So yeah, I totally agree with you, man. Totally agree. Yeah, I feel like the more you're doing it, the more you're like, as long as it's not like, like someone being sick from like an incurable disease or some cataclysm happening. They're just things that happen, but they'll pass on. Two, three months down the line, you forget about it. You're like, oh, that little thing wasn't yeah. that much of a big deal. Yeah, it's true, man. It's true. You try to keep that perspective too when you're going through some of those things. I, I remember so many times working at companies where I would be in a, a debate with a, a challenging coworker or something like that and get really worked up about something. And then months later, I'm like, man, I don't even care anymore. But at the time it was like such a big deal. And it like helps you remember when you take it in stride, <laughs> like it's not, is yeah. it that big a deal? There's a great book called don't sweat the small stuff and in parentheses, and it's all small stuff. That's exactly it. Everything's small stuff. Your inbox will always have emails in it. So don't try to empty it, man. Just do go through what you need to go through and try to set goals and meet those goals and just keep going through it. Exactly. It's just that lizard brain that's always like making us react to <laughs> yeah, random things. Exactly. exactly. Awesome. And we're nearing up the time here, but as a final question, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs looking to enter the B2B service or even B2B SaaS market? I think the best advice I would give is first and foremost, don't quit. Don't ever quit. There's a I have a thing here by Winston Churchill, and it says, never give up. Just don't quit. Just keep going, man. You are going to run into walls. That's good. That's a good thing. Enjoy it. Be happy when you run into walls. It's how you get tougher. Don't quit. Keep going. A, a no doesn't mean you stop. It just means you find a way around it, right? A wall doesn't mean you stop. You just find a way around it. Go under it, over it, or on the side of it. You will find a way. Do not quit. That's number one. Number two. Take everything with a grain of salt, just breathe, right? I know that sounds so cliche, breathe, right? But no, seriously, just breathe. And for me, if you're going through something that's tough and you can't quit, that's cool, don't quit. But you can pause, go outside, take a walk, just take a walk. I have taken walks and found solutions to so many problems by just going around the neighborhood for five minutes and be like, okay, why? Because right now I'm living in this window but when you go outside and you see the trees and the sun and what have you, it's like, oh, you know what? There's more to life. Okay. And it just gives you that breath of fresh air. Yeah. I would just say, breathe, learn when to breathe and just take a pause if you need to, but then get back on it by not quitting. And then the last thing I would say for this, specifically for that, this space, know what you're getting yourself into. Do research. You're talking to a UX guy. Research is king. Data is king. Go through it. You don't have to come to a, a big company to get research. You don't even have to come to a company. You can do it yourself. Go talk to people who, who you're starting a company. Who's target demographic? Who are your users? Who's your customers? You think those are your customers? Go talk to them. LinkedIn's right there. I, you, you can hit up a hundred people. I guarantee you one of them will take the time to be like, sure, I'll, I'll talk to you for five minutes or 15 minutes. 
not only are you going to build a relationship with someone who might be a customer of yours down the road, but you're going to get invaluable insight onto what this person pain point is, what makes them tick. Do that enough, you're going to find enough of a foundation, know who it is that you're building this thing for or creating the service for. And now you are so far along because now you know what you need to do. And if you've established those relationships, you can come back later and say, hey, remember when we talked three months ago? I built this thing. Would you mind giving me some feedback? Boom. Do that enough, man, you're there. So yeah, that's the advice I would give. Yeah, the last one was amazing, actually. That's very practical advice that people can even apply today. But yeah, wonderful having you, man. I feel like we touched on some really good topics. Likewise, it was great to uh, be here, guys. I appreciate it. For sure. Awesome, man. It was great seeing you guys. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Thanks, great seeing you, man. Have a good one.